Welcome to Fully Vetted, Animal Care News from the Clinic to the Farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Fully Vetted. I'm Kristen Bennett. Well, it's almost that time again, and no, I'm not talking about the holidays. I'm talking about the Midwest Veterinary Conference, scheduled for February 22nd to 24th in Columbus, Ohio. Next year's MVC features a packed exhibit hall, plenty of social and networking events, and, of course, outstanding education. More than 325 hours of it. And today, co-host Mia Cunningham and I are kicking off our annual MVC preview series with a well-known pet expert, certified animal behavior consultant, and award-winning blogger. You might have seen him on Oprah or National Geographic Explorer, heard him on Animal Planet Radio, or read his column in the Chicago Tribune. Without further ado, we are excited to welcome to the show the dynamic Steve Dale. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you here. Happy to do it. It's no problem. So for those in the veterinary pet care industry, your expertise is remarkably well-known, Steve. And so we're excited that we'll have you speaking at the 2024 Midwest Veterinary Conference. But for those of our listeners who may not be as familiar with your work, would you mind just giving us kind of a a brief overview of your background and um, your experience in the industry? Well, I'm a certified animal behavior consultant, but what I think is most interesting and perhaps unique is that I have on a daily basis interactions with a wide variety of pet parents uh, from all over the country, all over the world, really, uh, because I host radio shows and because I'm on television and because of my blog, which creates interaction with people from all over. At the same time, I work with veterinary professionals uh, and I speak at conferences like this great conference that I have not been to in, I don't know, since pre-pandemic sometime, 2016 or 17. So I'm so excited to come back. But I'm on, I've got one foot in the profession, if you will, and one foot on the pet parent side. And that's, I, I think in part anyway, what makes me unique. For example, I've contributed to and I'm so honored to say this, to veterinary textbooks, but at the same time, I've authored or co-authored books that are for the general public. Nice. Now, before we get into your sessions, there are a couple more things that I want to know about you. Oh, no. So one, just where your love of animals came from, and then two, what is your gripe with Christmas tinsel? (laughs) Uh, The love of animals uh, came from my father, I believe. So when we watched TV at that time, I'm dating myself and you will have no idea what I'm talking about, but we used to watch the uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom with Marlon Perkins. And the host of that show was Marlon Perkins, who was a zoo director, who incidentally I later did get to meet. The co-host of that show, Jim Fowler, I haven't thought about any of this in years, Jim Fowler would be the one in the field. So Marlon Perkins would famously say something like, from a nice, warm, cozy studio, he would say, and there's Jim now falling into the river. Oh, the crocodiles are eating Jim. We'll be back after this message from Mutual of Omaha. <laughs> and But that's all that, I mean, there was no animal planet at the time. That's pretty much all there was except an occasional National Geographic special. Uh, But my dad at one point wanted to be a zookeeper. And later in my life, I'm talking about when I was a kid 
a young kid when I was watching these shows. But later in my life, I actually wound up working at uh, the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Oh, wow. That's cool. Full circle. Yeah. 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 Oh, about tinsel. Yes, I do have a gripe with tinsel, and it ought to be banned. I don't know how you know this, but you're right about that. Because too many cats, dogs on occasion too, are so attracted by the movement. It kind of waves, and it it's shiny. I mean, for a cat, something that moves and is shiny is something I want to play with and maybe swallow. And I need not say anything else. And they do. And let's get rid of tinsel. I will pick at that anytime. If you want me to pick it on the streets <laughs> against tinsel, I am there. You're the guy. <laughs> I am. And I know this is going to be for audio, but he's sitting here with us recording with a cat person hat on. So it makes total sense. <laughs> well, I'm proud to say I am proud to say I'm on the board of, of and have been for many years now of the Every Cat Health Foundation, uh, formerly the Wind Feline Foundation. And this organization is in some way, shape, or form responsible for anything and everything all of you do for our cats, whether it be vaccines or treatments, understanding diabetes as one example that was misunderstood for many, many years in cats. Most recently, uh, feline infectious peritonitis, FIP. And I'm proud to say I was the moderator of this meeting where this happened. Uh, the official change from FIP being fatal to treatable. And I'm, it happened at the University of California, Davis, led by Dr. Niels Peterson. And uh, there were tears in everyone's eyes in the audience. Because, I mean, can you imagine FIP, which was a death sentence for mostly kittens, uh, now being treatable. That's awesome. And another part of your legendary repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> legendary, kind of you to say, but I'm not so sure of that. I'd like to think I'm too young for that as well. <laughs> well, I'm curious, how did you get from working at the zoo to where you are now being a radio show host and a speaker and writer and, and all these other things that you do? It's It's quite a big leap. Oh, my gosh. I'll answer the best I can, but I'd so much rather talk about what I'm going to be talking about in Ohio. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there soon, I promise. Okay, so uh, yes, I was at the zoo, and uh, it was a great experience, the details of which are kind of sad in a way, uh, because, for example, one thing I did is uh, I did the last, what was called the chimpanzee tea party, at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Now, this never should have been done in the first place. But again, this was then. And incidentally, I was probably 20 years old at the time. I, I don't know, somewhere in there, 22 maybe. maybe. Uh, and my job was, you know what they did then? They, when there was a baby chimpanzee or gorilla, the two great apes at this particular zoo, they'd remove them from mom, thinking if they were raised in the children's zoo, they'd be better off. I know that makes no sense, but back in the day, that's what zoos did. What's more, then they would use the chimpanzee, uses probably the right word, in a performance before introducing the chimp when it got too big and too strong back to the group, which probably didn't go well all the time. I mean, it, it was a, but again, it was a different era. And I was the last person, and I'm glad they stopped it, to do, and I was at the time too, to do what was called the chimpanzee tea party. So a chimpanzee named Chimmy the Chimp, in my case, would with one finger 
pull me on a red flyer wagon that I was sitting in to the auditorium outdoors. And I would talk about chimpanzees, which was the good part of all this, uh, for five minutes, maybe. We would sit and have a tea party. I'm, I don't think they actually served us tea. I don't think it was alcoholic either. I don't recall what it was. Uh, and uh, neither Chimmy, barely myself, was old enough to drink. And uh, then Chimmy would go. A keeper would take Chimmy away. And I'd bring out a ferret or something more appropriate. Uh, or maybe a bunny rabbit or a boa constrictor. Something that was far more appropriate to talk about but I was glad they ended it. And lots of zoos did that. So I'm not blaming the Lincolnburg Zoo. It's, it's what was done back in the era. And that illustrates the differences uh, or some of them between zoos today that now uh, support uh, wildlife studies and, have, uh, and support researchers that are out in the field. Very, very different than what it was more years ago than I wanna talk about. Interesting. Well, um, as you wish, we will now talk about your presentations at the MVC next February. So you're going to be speaking in the animal behavior track on Thursday and Friday. And uh, one of the things I noticed is that a common thread that runs through several of your sessions is this idea of consent. And that's not just about getting the owner's consent, but more importantly, the animals. So can you briefly explain this concept for our listeners? Of course. You know, um, if a, we're talking about zoos. So if a Siberian tiger at a zoo, any zoo anywhere, uh, and this happens on a daily basis, can consent voluntarily to put a paw out for a uh, blood draw, why can't we do that with our cats, our domestic cats? You know, uh, and the fact is that we can. So uh, in part, what I will be talking about is how consent, as it's called, in other words, the animal participating voluntarily and whatever you need to do can happen. Uh, and uh, that's far better for everybody. It's far better for the pet, obviously, I think, but it's also far better for the pet owner and for you and your own safety as a veterinary professional. Well, the idea of, of training a tiger to stick out his paw for a blood draw is just bonkers. And I, I mean, I think a lot of us can agree that, that getting a cat to do anything is, is akin to training a cat to get the newspaper. So like in a nutshell, you probably can't even put this in a nutshell, but can you talk a little bit about how that works, how the process of getting that consent begins well, it actually begins at home to some extent if we're talking cats, uh, and that is teaching pet parents that they can do things like leave out the carrier all the time and teaching pet parents how to drop treats into the carrier so it becomes an automatic food dispenser. And incidentally, note I said pet parents. 10 years ago, speaking at conferences, I said pet owners like everyone else. Uh, but today, that's kind of the right word, right? Uh, and, and I can talk about that at any point in time, that uh, the human-animal bond is such, where millennials particularly and Generation Z, their kids are their pets, quite literally, whether they have kids with two legs or not. Uh, and oftentimes they don't. Uh, 
but that's another topic. But now you have, it's not another topic because you have a uh, more of a willingness, I think, uh, among pet parents or pet owners uh, to do these kinds of things. So you leave out the carrier all the time. It becomes an automatic food dispenser. Uh, and then you take the cat around the house for a tour of your own house, unzip or unlatch the carrier, and then feed the cat afterwards. So being in it becomes a positive experience. And I can go on from there about carrier training and desensitization and counter conditioning to the carrier. Back to what you were saying, though, it begins at home because if the cat is so incredibly terrified, by the time the cat gets to your clinic, and on that ladder of terror, if you will, it continues to grow. So in the house, the cat is chased around, stuffed into the carrier screaming. It's worse now on the car ride because the cat is even more terrified. And by the time the cat lands at your clinic, actually, I believe, and colleagues believe in many cases, is actually probably thinking I'm going to die, quite literally. So you're not going to get a cat to consent to anything under those circumstances except for learned helplessness. So the cat actually can do nothing else and a good patient in a way, I suppose. But that cat is so filled with terror. That's not right. And, and that's not what any of us want. And it doesn't have to go down that road. Instead, it can go down a completely different road. But what I'm trying to explain, and I hope adequately, is this all begins at home with pet parents. And now, interestingly enough, I'd argue for cats today, even more than dogs, pet parents are willing greatly to do what you're asking them to do if they can understand it. Uh, and I'll talk in part about how making all of that understandable. So kind of along those same lines, Steve, um, you mentioned your STOP protocol um, as a part of, you know, getting consent from an animal. Can you clarify for our listeners just what the STOP protocol is? Just kind of give us an overview. That's in reference to dog bites, and it's something new. So, uh are you guys ready for this? I will be giving this talk for the first time uh, or maybe the second time for you guys. Oh. I think it'll be the first time. And, and here's how it all began. First of all, let me back up a step because it ties into what I was just talking about, about consent in a way. I am a, a part of the Fear Free Advisory Board and uh, also a supporter of cat-friendly practices. And part of the reason why both of these initiatives, I believe, are so important and also so embraced now by pet parents is we have data, in fact, to demonstrate, although anecdotally, I think most veterinarians would agree, because it's true with their own clients, that uh, pet parents today are more interested and concerned about their pet's emotional well-being than ever before. If they perceive that the pet perceive even, that the pet is being handled poorly or treated poorly in any way whatsoever, which is why going in the back is more of a concern than ever before, because they don't know what's happening back there, right? Uh, that they may not come to you any longer even, even a client that's been coming for years. 
because the emotional connection and the concern about our pet's emotions have increased compared to 10 years ago. Now, answering directly what you're saying, what prompted me to reinvigorate this concern about dog bites, and it does tie in hugely to consent. So I'm glad you asked the question. We know that there are more dogs than ever before. We also know there are more dog bites than ever before. And according to the data that I've seen, although that data is different in different places, but what seems consistent is that that number of serious dog attacks exceeds the number of dogs increased through ownership. The number of dog bites is being overrepresented in the increase. And I'm talking about significant dog bites. Um, a significant number of children are going to be bitten by their own dog or another dog at some point in their childhood. Now, knowing that, here's what occurred to me. The American Veterinary Medical Association and others for years have been uh, supporting this idea that I'm about to explain, that everybody knows. Before you pet a dog, ask the, whoever's with the dog, can I pet your dog? We're supposed to teach our children that, and we've known that from the time we were kids. That's excellent. I am not criticizing that, but what, what I am saying is we have to do better. And what I thought about is this. Why aren't we asking the dog? So very often, and I'll put it in a veterinary clinic example, and I'll use an example kind of out on the street in the real world. Even if the dog is fine in clinic, out on the street in the real world matters because if the dog bites someone, which none of us want to see anyway, but if a client's dog bites someone five miles from your clinic, it, that does matter to you because that dog may have to be relinquished. Also, that dog may never be looked at the same way. Dogs don't get up in the morning saying, I want to bite someone. And these are not necessarily, though they can be, inherently quote-unquote aggressive dogs. So let me give an in-clinic example. Five people are holding down the dog. I mentioned blood draw. I'll use that example again for a blood draw. What is that dog feeling and thinking? Where are the cortisol levels? And we actually know the answers to these questions now. And aggression begets aggression. So our aggression, if you will, toward that dog will make that dog more fearful in the next visit this is almost all common sense, right? And if that is the case, it'll take 10 people to hold down that dog in the next visit instead of what can we do so we don't have to go that route. And now with what we know about behavior modification and the pharmaceuticals that can help us, we don't have to go down that route. But a more simple example on the street is, let's say you're walking down the street and you say to the dog's owner, and do you have a child with you or not? It doesn't matter. Can I pet your dog? And the dog's owner says, sure, wonderful dog. And it probably is. The dog has its tail down. Or it can be far more subtle. The dog is just stiffly looking the other way. That dog is saying, I don't want to be pet. Now, does that dog necessarily respond with a dog bite? Of course not. 
But I also argue it's a welfare issue. So uh, I am talking to you, Kristen. I've never met you in person. When I see you in person in Ohio, I run up to you. I grab you and I give you a great big hug. (laughs) Okay, I'm thinking you're not welcoming that by your response. What if, in fact, I'd never even talked to you or met you before and I respond that way? And we expect our dogs to respond in a welcoming way when that's not fair. Dog may be in pain. The dog, I do believe, just like any of us, could be having a bad day for any number of reasons. And I'm not anthropomorphizing there, I don't believe. So for two reasons, I think, and I'll talk about this in Ohio, in a way that I have not even developed yet, to tell you the truth, because I'm still working on the talk. Uh, And I don't believe that talk's been given by anyone else. And consent is a huge part of this. Let's not automatically assume all dogs want to be touched. I'm talking about not in a veterinary setting, because you have to touch the dogs in a veterinary setting. I'm talking about sort of in the real world out on the street. But all of that, as I kind of alluded to, does matter to you. I'm learning so much because I'm a pet parent. And so I'm just taking notes because I've seen some of these things with my own dog. And now it's given me a different lens in which to, I think, appreciate him. Interesting. Because something happened just the other day. We were out walking and one of my neighbors was excited to see him. And Kobe was like, "Mm, mm -mm, no, he just would not engage. And I'm like, well, Kobe, say hi. And he was telling me like, mom, I don't want to. And I kept trying to force him to engage with my neighbor. I should just left him alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anyone who does a behavior consultation, I shouldn't say anyone, but most of us, and and I would argue veterinary behaviors to go into homes. I mean, I've learned this, I've learned so much from veterinary behaviors, nearly everything I know. But uh, to go into homes, you don't need to see the behavior replicated. You don't want to see an aggressive dog necessarily. You don't want to have that animal practice the behavior yet one more time, I wait till dogs or cats come to me. Yeah. And with cats, of course, an example is you're, you're having a swanky dinner party. And I know you have those all the time, Mia. And uh, next Thursday, you're having another one. And you have 12 people over, and including Aunt Zelda. You have an Aunt Zelda, right? Now you oh, do absolutely. anyway. <laughs> yeah. And Aunt Zelda is the only one of that group who hates cats. Maybe she's allergic. Maybe she just doesn't like cats. She's sitting in a corner. The cat wants nothing to do with anybody else except Aunt Zelda, right? I mean, we've all had that experience or have seen that happen. There are a variety of reasons. I don't have time here necessarily to explain. But it is all about let the animal make the decision too. Let that animal decide, I want to say hi. Sorry, Aunt Zelda. The cat's saying hi to you. (laughs) (laughs) And Zelda, of course, leaves your house and instead goes to Kristen's house down the street where there are no cats. And she gets a free meal as well because you know how Aunt Zelda is. (laughs) Crazy Aunt Zelda. Yeah, she's crazy. So as you mentioned earlier, pet ownership is on the rise. Yeah. 
And we live in the era of pet parents and fur babies and where owners want their dogs to be on the same grain-free diet that they are. So that brings us to another common theme in your sessions, which is how the role of the pet has evolved in recent years and how, as a result, the human-animal bond has intensified. And one of your sessions poses an intriguing question. Is it possible to be overbonded? Oh, I don't know that I, I, I don't know that I want to answer that question right here because I'd rather t- leave the teaser out there. Okay. But uh, I, what I like to do are talks that others necessarily hadn't thought about. And I don't know that anyone else is giving that talk or not, but I think I was the first uh, and still may be the only. I, I don't really know. But I think it's an important topic. I actually do serve on the board of the Human-Animal Bond Association. And without the human-animal bond, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. There would be no veterinary conference. There would be no veterinarians to have at a conference. So the human-animal bond makes it possible and is the explanation. I mean, no one, I don't believe, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't know that any recent president of the United States has said, you must have a pet. It's a decision we make. And it's a decision we make because presumably we benefit by it. Uh, So I'll talk about that a little bit, but I also want to talk about whether we can be overbonded or not and what may that look like. And if true, are the pets paying a price? And I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, any more than that. Which means, listeners, you will have to come to the Midwest Veterinary Conference and attend Steve's sessions. Well, I will tell you, I've been to many regional conferences, and I miss your conference because it's the best. Am I going to get in trouble now? It is the best regional conference in the country. <laughs> we won't get in trouble with this. <laughs> yeah, what you guys do. And then I'm, I'm so excited that I think after or maybe before, I don't remember which, I go to the Ohio State University. Dr. Lilly invited me to come and speak to students, which is a favorite. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love doing that. Well, I'm going to have to sneak into one of your sessions. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I hope so. And I'll give you a great big hug. <laughs> if I don't get a hug, at this point, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the conference again, we run the gambit in terms of like veterinary professionals who attend. With that in mind, like, who do you see your core audience for your sessions being? Human beings? I am privileged in my world. I I look at it this way, uh, in all honesty, to speak at veterinary conferences all over the world. Um, Why they keep asking for me, I don't know, but I'm, I'm so lucky. Uh, because it's my favorite thing to do of all the things I do. Um, And what I offer is not only some, I hope at this point in time, behavior expertise, uh, but also inherently in what I do, a pet parent perspective. Because at the end of the day, because I'm not a veterinarian, I have a perspective that many other speakers don't have. And hopefully I bring that as well. who is my audience. I love it when 
technicians are the bulk of my audience uh, because, and I say this before every talk I do pretty much, and I mean it, without technicians, it's like without the human-animal bond. Without technicians, we wouldn't be here. Without technicians, this profession would look so different. And I think that the general public, on one hand, has no idea about the services, the extent of what technicians can do and do. Uh, but frankly, within the profession, I think technicians are also underappreciated. Uh, and I am grateful <clears throat> for anyone coming to any of my talks, but particularly uh, technicians. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Awesome. Well, as we know, you have a big online presence. So for those listeners who want to connect with you prior to the conference, what are the best places to find you and get in touch? Thank you for asking that. So I'm at stevedale.tv, and that is where you can read my blog. In addition to that, uh, we have a kitten, well, not a kitten anymore, about a year and a half old at this point, uh, named Groucho. Now, we were going to name the kitten Barney Fife, but <laughs> if you ask me, I will explain why that didn't work out. So we will wait until I get to Ohio for that. But if you're on TikTok, you can go to Groucho underscore the funny cat. And in fact, you bet your life, Groucho is a funny cat. Love it. Well, before we let you go, can we take a, a quick photograph? Oh, sure. I was the first one, I think, at a veterinary meeting, and now tons of people do this, to take selfies of everybody in the room. I hope you do that at Midwest. I will if the room is filled and it looks okay. good. <laughs> well, we're, we'll do our best to make sure that that happens. Okay, then I'm gonna, I will do my best to take awesome. those selfies. I do all the time. All right. Awesome. All right. It's going to count down. There we go. Oh. Ready? <laughs> I, like, I like that, except I look too serious. I should have done what you were doing. <laughs> do you want to do another one? Are you going to do another one? Do you want one? to do another one? Can we still cat? Sure. Like, me and I will be serious. Persecuted to the A. Can we do, can we do a T? No, I'll, <laughs> I'll do what you guys are doing. I'm gonna... All right, here we go. I've still got the share squad thing. Oh, no. So I can't see the countdown. <laughs> I really missed it. <laughs> I think you might have taken a picture of all Let's that. See what happens. Yeah, I wasn't ready. <laughs> 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 I love that. Oh no. Okay. I don't know how to get this thing if off. If you my just screen. click off to the side, it'll disappear. Oh, I think okay. I did. Okay. One more time. A okay. third time's a charm. Take three. Okay. Here we go. Yes. Oh no! It's counting it down. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> yes. Do other speakers do this? <laughs> you're you're the first <laughs> one so far. I always forget about oh, this right. feature, so Damn. yeah, we should start doing this. Oh, that's it. That's, that's awesome. the way. <laughs> <laughs> I am the guinea pig. And you did good. Oh, thank you. Yes, this has been delightful. So anytime you want to come back on Fully Vetted, just let us know. We'd be happy to have you. Oh, I'm happy to do it anytime you want me awesome. to. Awesome. We, we might just take you up. Or maybe on-site, too. I don't know. Maybe a little something while you're there yeah sure you tell me where to go and i'll i'll be there and you won't be the first to tell me where to go so <laughs> hopefully um, all the places you've been told to go were good <laughs> no not at all that's life without a little texture you know yeah. yeah and my wife on a daily basis but that's another story ah uh, marriage <laughs>
<laughs> I'm happy to do whatever you want. So Thank you so, so much. Bye, Steve. Be sure to check the show notes to see pictures from our impromptu photo shoot and a complete list of Steve's MVC sessions. His presentations in the Animal Behavior 2 track on Thursday, February 22nd will be recorded for on-demand viewing during the virtual MVC, which begins on February 26th. You'll also find a link to learn more about next year's conference and sign up for email notifications. Registration officially opens next week on November 13th. That's a wrap on today's episode. Special thanks to today's guest for joining us on the show. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. As always, please feel free to visit fullyvettedpodcast.com for show notes and to provide listener feedback. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to follow Fully Vetted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Like the show? Please submit a quick rating and comment on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners like you. Until next time, stay safe and be well.